1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. If you don't have it, it's going to be here on the screen. All right, here we go. Verse 12, this is uh, the Apostle Paul speaking. And remember, he had lots of conversations, all types of conversations with this church uh, in Corinth. And uh, we're, we're getting uh, insight to their conversation here in one of his letters. But Paul says this, I have, I have the right to do anything you say. Uh, he's, he's quoting them, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Remember, Christ is the head of the church, and we are the body. That's why it's unfortunate, but when people uh, experience church hurt and they say, hey, give me Jesus, but keep the church, it's a difficult thing to do because Jesus is head of the church, so you can't separate the head from the body. But he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And so at the moment a person puts their faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God then dwells in them. So it doesn't mean that we're perfect from that moment, but now... We have the, the presence of God with us to help us navigate the Christian life. So this is what Paul is saying. Listen, the veil has been torn. There's no separator uh, between a man and God. In fact, the spirit of God now dwells in us. So he's reminding that, hey, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 20, he says, you were bought at a price. And what made that possible was the price that was paid, which was the, the life and sacrifice, the blood of Jesus. So you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're thankful for this moment, for this moment. Thank you, Lord, for this time, this space that we get to share together. And uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would drive this conversation. Lord, any words of my own, may they just fall to the ground. And let what you have to say penetrate our hearts. Lord, not from a place of condemnation or not for us to feel guilt or shame because that's not of you. But God, to be empowered by your grace while encountering the truth of your word. So we thank you for these moments. Open up our eyes, open up our ears and let us see and hear what you're speaking to us. Speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, come on. Everybody said amen and amen, amen. You may be seated. Family, there are two things that 
church organizations and all different uh, leadership tribes and just kind of the way of, of doing things will tell you. There are two things that you do not preach about in church. And these two things happen to be the same thing that people say, hey, don't preach about that at church. What are those two things? It's money and sex. Talk about my eternity, but don't talk about my bank account. Talk about my eternity, but don't speak on my sex life. Those two are off limits. And here I go saying, let's talk about it today. <laughs> talk about it. Come on. But listen, why would we not talk about sex in a church community? I think to choose not to is to do ourselves a disservice. Because when the church removes itself from a conversation, it's essentially removing itself from having any type of authority in that conversation. And so then we, saw, we have to ask the question, well, this is why we get, this is why we have what we have. Because we've decided to remove ourselves from the conversation. And what we have to bring to the conversation isn't a set of opinions, but it's the inspired word of God. And so we don't have a truth, but we have the truth. And so it's on us who call ourselves Christians and believers to bring the truth to all conversations including sex. And by the way, let me say this. My conversation today is geared to those who are believers in the room. It is geared to those who are Christians. And you say, well, if I'm not, am I excluded? No. But you get to hear and peer into what the Lord has called us to once we have put our faith in him. See, I don't, I don't think we should have expectations on those who are not believers to act like believers. But we should have the expectation for those who are believers to act and respond like believers because we've encountered Jesus and his truth. So my conversation is geared to those of us who are uh, Christians, are believers, are followers of the way of Jesus in the room. And as I have said the previous two weeks, I'll say it this week as well. If anything sounds like your situation, I don't know it. Okay? I, I, I do not know it. That disclaimer is there and it's not going away. But we have to talk about sex because the conversation is everywhere. So then the church is going to be silent when the conversation is found in every other place. It was difficult for us to watch the Super Bowl with our young kids because of the type of um, commercials that came on. So it's everywhere and it's blatant. It's in culture. So you have terms like body count. What's your body count? What does, what does the number look like? You have things like OnlyFans has a revenue of $1.9 billion. You have over 100 million people who use Pornhub daily. So this idea that the church just stays silent when the world is fully engaged into that conversation, we're missing it. So we, we have to talk about it because culture is forming us into what its idea of sex is and what it's supposed to look like. And so the question that we need to answer today is, has that picture that culture is forming us into of what sex looks like, is it the right picture of sex? 
Well, how do we discover that? We have to have the conversation. We have to talk about it, uh, which maybe you've gathered is the title of this message today. Let's talk about sex. Why do I have to say it like that? <laughs> and if you follow along, you can do so. Download the TBC app and the notes are there as available uh, iTunes or Apple Store, whatever it's called, Google Play uh, as well, and you can track with us today. So are we, we good? We good? You can nod your head, we good? We good to keep going? Okay. So, I mean, I was going to keep going, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I believe, family, that some of us, we have the wrong picture of God, that we view God as this, this figure who's sitting somewhere off in the, in the sky in the heavenlies, on this giant throne. And he's just looking and and anticipating and waiting for us to mess up so he can just blast us off into oblivion somewhere. But the reality is, family, the early picture of God that we get is that he he likes to look for what's good in something, not what's wrong with it. Look at Genesis 1. I'm going to read a bunch of verses. You'll see it. Verse 10, and God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters. He called seas, and God saw that it was good. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Verse 18, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. 21, so God created the Great creatures of the sea and every living thing in which the waters teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 25, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 27. So God created Mankind in his own image, the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And look at verse 31 when he finishes here. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So this idea of God sitting on the throne and just waiting for us to mess up so he can say, aha, I got you, it's the wrong picture of God. Because we see here in the beginning, Genesis 1, that God looks for the good in things. In fact, what do we always say in church? God is good all the time and all the time? There you go. We know it. So then how come we can't see this? That if God created sex and he did, then sex is good. Which that right there, that question leads me to my first observation this morning is this, sex is good. Now, as I say that, how many times have you heard, especially if you have grown up in church, that sex is bad? Don't do it. Stay away from it. Waterboy's mother, you familiar with the movie? It's the devil. (laughs) This is true. If you grew up in church, this is what you heard. It's always about how bad sex is. But listen, if you're married in the room, you can talk back to me. Sex is good. (laughs) 
All the married folks, this is your opportunity. You ain't got to wait for no Valentine's Day. Come on now. <laughs> if you're married, tap your spouse on the leg. <laughs> but the very first time that sex is mentioned, the message isn't about not to do it, but rather to do it. Look at Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Be fruitful wasn't like, yo, work a lot, you know, take care of the garden, do all that good stuff. No, no, the Lord is saying, hey, husband, wife, listen, be fruitful, have sex, and increase in number. So God created man, and he created woman, and here's what he said. He said, listen, sex is for you. Do that. It was not, hey, here's this naked man and this naked woman, now have no sex. He says, no, husband and wife have sex because sex is good. But maybe our view of sex has been distorted because we can't see that it's actually good. And here's what I'm getting at, because oftentimes when you hear of, of Adam and Eve, the creation narrative, it's, you know, obviously always leading to the sin when sin enter in. And so maybe there's just subconsciously this correlation that we're attaching uh, to that and to sex itself. It's trickled down to cause us to think that sex is bad. But understand this, prior to humanity becoming sinful, humanity was sexual. Sin entered later. Genesis 1, the Lord is saying, be fruitful and multiply. So before there was sin, humanity in the confines of male and female, God says, have sex. Prior to sin, they were naked and unashamed. It was after sin that they covered themselves up because that's what sin does. It brings shame. But listen, family, God is for sex. You said, give me some more scripture. Okay. Proverbs 519. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Come on now. Some of the husbands are writing, he said Proverbs, was it 18 or 19? <laughs> Take Song of Solomon, for example, though. You know, I don't know if you ever read it. But, but reading it is something else. You almost feel like. Uh, <laughs> but Song of Solomon, it's a, it's a letter. It's detailing this courtship between a man and a woman as they write these letters expressing their love to each other back and forth. And uh, these letters is obviously detailing their love for one another. But it ultimately culminates to their wedding night in chapter 5 where it says this in verse 1. I have entered my garden, my treasure, my bride. I gather myrrh with my spices and eat honeycomb with my honey. I drink wine with my milk. You can't tell me God's not. He said, I have entered my garden, my treasure, my bride. The engagement period is over and I have stepped into the room. 
But look what it goes on to say. Oh, lover and beloved, eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of your love. So when you read it in, in Scripture, you see it's like man. And then it says friends. And then it says woman. Well, friends is not really friends. Friends is actually God. And so this line here, oh, lover and beloved, eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of your love. That's not the man speaking. That's not the woman speaking. It's, it's friends, but it's, it's really God. It's poetry. And, it, and, it, and it's pointing to God. So here God is in this moment where now they ha- they're married and the husband is about to enter into his garden. And here God is saying, yes, do that. Drink deeply of your love. Because you're husband and wife. And sex is good. This is why it was created. This is for you. And so again, husbands and wives, this is why, why you got to do this. And God is saying, yes, good job. That's it. And I'm not trying to be funny here, but I'm trying to like paint this picture that sex is not bad, but sex is good. It's not just about procreation, but it's also about recreation. It's a way of expressing love towards each other. Y'all tracking with me? All right. So I grew up watching the Jetsons. And y'all remember the Jetsons? Some of you remember the Jetsons? And I remember there was one episode where the maid, I think her name was Rosie, she started to malfunction. And she went, she went crazy. She lost it. Like she just frantically began to clean everything up. And she kept saying this phrase, a place for everything and everything in this place. Anybody remember that episode? Like she was wilding out a place for everything and everything in its place. Family, can I tell you, that is true when it comes to sex. So the first observation was this, sex is good. And some of us was in the room was like, is he going to say something else after that? Yes, sex is good. Second observation, sex in context is good. See, context matters because context gives way to order. And we know this, God is not a God of confusion. But God is a God of order. And in Genesis, when the earth was void, it was formless, it was chaotic, there was no order, what did God do? He began to speak to the chaos, and as he spoke to the chaos, it created order. Well, listen, family, God has spoken to sex, and he has given us a context. And it is within the covenant of marriage. Look at Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so God created the animals and all this. And in verse 20, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now listen to me, family. I get it. I hear it. I I hear it now. I hear the questions I hear the statements. I hear the comments. Like, come on, man. This doesn't sound like 2024. 
This is an outdated way of thinking. This is why the church is falling behind. This is why people don't connect to church like they used to because the church is behind on things like this. But can I tell you, church can't be, and if you've encountered it, it's the wrong environment, but church can't be an organization or an organism that changes what truth is based on what culture is saying in the day and time of culture. Because the, the moments of, of the scriptures that's been canonized, it wasn't a culture that upheld the things that Paul is talking about here. That's why he's speaking about it. So this is not a new thing. And so this has to continue through every age until Christ returns. And people say, well, then you'll never get people to connect. Okay, but that doesn't mean that we have the authority to change or edit the word of God. We are instructed to live this out in grace and truth, but we don't get to rewrite the rules. So it doesn't matter how it sounds in 2024 or 2044. The word of God is true. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't adapt to culture. Culture has to adapt to his ways because everything else will pass away. But this word will remain. It's his word that goes out and accomplishes what it was sent out to do. It's his word that never fails. That's why God is a God that cannot lie. Because if he says it, it has to happen. So we don't get to edit this. We don't get to change it. But I understand it's a difficult thing to hear and listen because of culture. And what I mentioned at top, sex is everywhere. Sex sells. It's what drives everything. The, the people who have, uh, get caught up in issues and scandals is oftentimes always centered around sex. It's, it's sex that becomes the issue. But listen, that's a result of Satan's tactic to take what God intended for good and to twist it to create a distorted view. And so now what, was, what is good and what was given as a gift, well, sex is a gift from God, but now it has become a God. Sex is worship. It's all about sex. You're dating. The question is, well, when are we going to get to it? How long did she make you wait? How, how, how many hoops did you have to jump through? It's all about sex. And what was supposed to be a gift has become a God. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is Paul. He's writing to some believers in Thessalonica. And here's what he says. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. So there's a way of living that pleases God. And then Paul says, listen, in fact, you, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So in other words, you heard the instructions. Don't stop, but continue. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And I love that Paul puts that there because it's a reminder uh, to us, as we hear this, it's not the authority of man that's speaking, but it's the authority of the Lord, of Jesus speaking. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? Sanctification, uh, to be sanctified, is this process of, uh, process of becoming holy. So uh, God says, be holy as I am holy. Doesn't mean 
uh, in this life that we're going to get there, but it's the process. And going back to Philippians 1.6, that's why it's the good work that he started that he'll complete at the day of Christ Jesus. But in the meantime, we should be on this process of becoming holy. It doesn't mean it's a process that is perfect, but our steps are going in the right direction. So he's saying it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, he says instructions. So there's a whole list of instructions that they were given, but yet Paul feels a need to point out those related to sexual immorality. So this area must have been a struggle uh, for these believers as he was writing this letter because he didn't mention all the other things in this specific moment. But he specifically mentions to avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So Paul is saying, listen, I have no expectation of the pagans, of the ones who do not know God. But when you know him, when you follow him, there is an expectation that is on us. That's why I said earlier, this conversation is to those of us who follow the way of Jesus. Then he says in verse 6, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of, the, of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we have told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So here's a question. Did you catch what he said in verse 6? He says, and that in this matter... No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Why does Paul say that? Why does he say brother or sister? Could he, could he have chosen a different language there? Well, the Bible never addresses uh, premarital sex because it doesn't exist within the context of the Bible. If sex takes place, it's assumed that because there's marriage, there's a covenant. So until you are married, this is what Paul is reminding. He says, you are seen as brother and sister. So no matter if you're dating, no matter if you're engaged, you're brother and sister. And so to have sex outside of marriage is seen as taking advantage of your brother or sister. And not just taking advantage of them, but the Greek word that's used here, it means to defraud them. To engage in sex outside of marriage is to defraud your brother or sister. Because the Bible says what? The two will become one. Meaning this, that the two will be joined together. Or the two will be fused together. We talked about this last week. Why oftentimes many deal with so many issues. Because if... You're going from relationship to relationship, or if you are engaged with sexual partners, and, and every time you have sex, you are forging yourself. You are fusing yourself with that person. And it's not just this physical act, but there's a spiritual element to it. And so when you're leaving that situation and you're going to the next situation, it's not so much that I'm not sleeping with that person anymore, but now I'm also taking the other things as well with them. And so if it was anxiety, if it was fear, if it was lust, if it was anger, whatever it is, you have now fused yourself with that person and you're taking that 
with you to the next person. And now whatever that is, you're getting that as well. And now you leave them and it's to the next person. And so now we get to this place and we have this question, why am I dealing with this issue? Why am I dealing with that issue? Because every time you're going to have to tear yourself apart from that fusing. But as easy as you enter into the moment, it's not as difficult to separate from the fusion that has taken place. And that's why sometimes you ask the question, man, why they keep going back to so-and-so? Why they keep messing with so-and-so after what they did, after what they said, after how they stepped out? Because there's been this tie, this fusion that has been created that is only intended for the context of marriage. So we can't fuse ourselves with people who are not our spouse. Marriage is intended for the context, excuse me, sex is intended for the context of marriage, for the covenant of marriage, because of that deep connection that happens. And in the same way, can I tell you, married couples, that's why you need to have consistent sex to strengthen the relationship and fully live in the order that God has set in place. Married folks, you know one of the best ways to end the argument? Get naked and have sex. And then afterwards, you're like, it wasn't even that big of a deal. We figured it out. But it deepens the connection. It because when Susie compliments Jim at the office, he ain't even thinking about Susie. Because Jim and his wife, they fuse together all the time. Okay, that's cool. So you got to mind your business. Because I'm good. Because that consistency is there. How consistent every day? If you can, put it. I'm busy. Schedule it. Schedule it. Like that, I have a calendar app. You schedule everything else. It's, it's that important, though. I know we're laughing right now, but it's that important. Schedule it. It's got to be consistent because it's in God's order and he's blessed it. Now, here's a question. Okay. So what if, what if, I'm already, what if we're already living together? What if it's already, we're three years into this. We're two years into this. And I know the answer to this question is not going to be solved for what I'm about to say, but I'm going to set the stage for it. It's a, it's, a, it's a conversation. If you're already living together, I have this question. Well, then what are, what are you waiting for? What are, you, what are you waiting for? Because you've already gotten to that point. It's, the house is already being played. So bills are perhaps already being shared, whatever it is. And it's, it's difficult Come on, to say we're in the space together, but we're keeping it holy. That's tough. You had a long day, had a great date, and you come back to the same place, and you're going to go separate ways. That may work for a month. It may work for two. But you have to ask yourself, is that possible to continue that? So then the question is, if you, like, yo, I can marry this person then yeah, what are you waiting for? Why not put it in the right context? Why not put it within the covenant of marriage? And then if the answer is like, I don't know if I want to marry them, then what are you even doing? Come on. 
And, I, and again, I understand there may be some complexities behind that. That's not going to solve this in this conversation today. But it's to put that in your mind and to think, then why, why, why are we living together? Why? Because then if it's so many other complexities that you don't know if you want to, to marry them, then really you don't want to share your life in general with them. Because that means you already have some concerns and you already have some questions. So don't, don't cheapen your life and your experience if there are already questions about the setup, regardless of if you intend to get married or not. So get married or, or move out. Ladies, fellas, listen. Let me, I'll say this to the ladies. Because, I have to hurry up, because sometimes the fellas, again, I'm talking to those who are Christians and believers and they're trying to, 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 to do it God's way. Sometimes it's like, okay, but she's very clear, like we, we, we ain't having sex, we ain't, we ain't doing nothing. And by the way, Paul says sexual immorality. So people try to say, well, if it's not, you know, this is it really sex? Sexual immorality. So anything that looks like it, feels like it, sounds like it, it's included. That's the people like, so how close can I get? Well, you want to drive up a mountain without any guardrails and figure out how close you want to get? But I think fellas um, or ladies, what, what fellas may be, be asking is like, okay, so I get it. It's clear. Okay, no sex. But, but after, there's, there's going to be sex, right? We're like, we, we going to get to it, right? And so, ladies, you got to let them know, like, hey, after you put a ring on it, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? You got to let them know. We're going to get to it. Bless coming in. Bless going out. We're blessed in the city. Like, you got to let them know. But until then, the answer is no. But let them know. And then they go, okay, I see where you're going. I see. So let them know. Listen, sex before marriage. Can, can I say this? Because whether it's living together or sex before marriage, it has the potential to lead to infidelity in marriage. Now hear me out. That's a... Big old statement that I just said, and there's not a lot of context around it. And again, this is one of those statements that, that leads way to a, a bigger conversation than just right now. Because cheating is always wrong, and there's no excuse for that. So I'm not saying that because you had sex before marriage or that you're living together that it excuses cheating. Like, like, full stop, no, like cheating is wrong. But what it does is when you have sex outside of marriage, it is this feeling of like, yo, we're doing something that I don't think we're supposed to do. I know we're not supposed to do. And so there is this, maybe this thrill, this whatever behind it of getting something I'm not supposed to have right now. But then what happens when you get married and it's like, well, yeah, I, I can. But her, I can't. And so is there a, now a, a, a bend to wonder? I wonder if I could. Because there was this training ground of before, 
getting something that I wasn't supposed to get. And again, cheating is wrong. There's no uh, way you could reason that it's right or justified. But we have to ask ourselves this question. When we engage in something that outside of the context in which we're supposed to, are we training our mentality to continue that way? It's like an athlete. What's difficult for them is that they always have to have the next challenge. And so then it doesn't become this thing of looking for the next challenge. There's this question. How do we just... Is there, is there this expectation for us that we're going to say, hey, I'm going to, God, I'm going to willfully live outside of your will and what's best for my life. But yet I'm going to keep asking you to bless what I touch. And he's saying, but how can I trust you with this when you won't trust me here? It's a question to ask. So sex is good. Sex in context. And here's the last observation today. You guys okay? Here's the last one. Sex is sacred. Sex is sacred. You know, it's interesting how sex is portrayed in the media when it comes to married sex and unmarried sex. Have you noticed that? Like, unmarried sex. Man, it's wild. It's crazy. They can barely get out. Of the, of the Uber, the taxi, into the elevator, ripping each other's clothes off, just trying to get to the apartment. But then when it comes to married sex, they're in the bed, just somebody reading the book, the other scrolling, you want to? I can, I guess. I ain't too tired. Let me go take my face off. You know what I mean? Right? Like, it's this betrayal of like, oh, unmarried sex. This is, this, is, this is good. This is exciting. It's passionate. But married sex, well, I guess it's, it's a duty. Let's, okay, we got time. So it's, this, it's, it's kicking this idea that, listen, well, in the, in the unmarried sex, it's kicking this idea that, well, it's just sex. It's just something you do. It's, it's just fun. But when we cheapen sex down to just a physical act, we discount the value of humanity. Now, you're worth more than that. And oftentimes, that's attributed to women. But, fellas, this is for you as well. Because there's a misconception, you know, sometimes that, that, that women aren't that sexual and it's all the, only guys. No, women, women are, are, are sexual. But the statement is true. We can't cheapen sex down to a physical act because when we do, we discount the value of humanity. Here's what I mean. First Corinthians 6. Micah, uh, Matthew, come play. Come help me out. Help me land this plane. But Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Look at verse 20. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's a thing of honor. Sex is sacred. Sex is holy. So when we cheapen sex down to a physical act, we discount the value of humanity. Your life is valuable. It has value. Your soul has value. How much it was purchased by the life of Jesus 
By his blood, he, he paid it all. No one could pay the price to bring us back to God except Jesus, his only son. That's the value that our lives have. And, you know, we often hear phrases like this, my body, my choice. And for the one who is not, for the one who has not put their faith in Jesus, that phrase is, is, is true-ish. But can I tell you, family, it's untrue if the believer says it. Because you are bought at a price. That the life of Jesus it paid for you and I. And when we put our faith in him, we acknowledge that. And so now it becomes, Romans 12 and 1, our reasonable response to offer our lives as our bodies as living sacrifices. Because when we became Christian, the Holy Spirit, who is part of the Godhead, came to live inside of us, which means we house the presence of God. And that is a reminder, or it should be, that we have been bought with the price, which was the life of Jesus. And because of that, we're into service of him because he paid for us. So the phrase needs to go from my body, my choice, to listen, I surrender all. I surrender my sexuality. I surrender my desires. I surrender what my eyes watch. I surrender what my ears hear. Because there's this understanding that my life is not my own, but I've been bought with the price. And to have sex outside of marriage is to discount the value of my soul. Can I ask this question, family? Why allow someone to devalue the cost of your life? It doesn't have to be someone, but why allow yourself to devalue your life? Sex is sacred. It's a bond. It's a moment created by God for a husband and wife to honor each other. But ultimately, to honor him. And what I don't want us to hear today is, man, shame on you. Shame on me. Because I had sex outside of marriage. Shame on me. Because I have an active sex life now and I'm not married. Shame on me because I'm opposite of all that you just said today. No, family, this conversation is for us to feel shame. But it's for us to encounter God's grace and his truth and to know that there is a better way, that there is a, a better order. Because sex was and it is God's idea. It's not man's idea. And I think it ultimately boils down to this. Can we answer this or asking this question and answer it? Well, do I trust God? Do I trust that your way is better? Do I trust your design? Can I trust you and take you at your word? Because family, if we can trust God, we can trust his way, and we can trust his order. Would you pray with me today?